Okay, you have it. You have the first episode of OG Oda. So what is OG Oda? Well, if you're listening to this, chances are you were well aware of the podcast that was known as Game Face Radio. Uh, Game Face Radio was a show that was one of the very first video game or anime related podcasts. I can only think of one other show that came before us, and it was like by a month or so. Uh, we were way back in the beginning of podcasting. I don't remember when that was. 06 or something, maybe? I don't know. So what is OG Oda and how is it not Game Face Radio? Well, Game Face Radio was a show that oftentimes there were many large gaps between episodes because we didn't just crank them out like crappy Marvel comics uh, that came out every month regardless of there, whether or not there was any reason to make one. Uh, we only did it when we had something to say and sometimes the gaps between the episodes would be enormous i think we did over a year once between episodes we eventually got to uh, the mid 40s as far as number of episodes 43 official ones and then a few weird side stories and there was a music only one um what eventually happened is it got to be too difficult to to get the the wheels rolling and to make episode 40 or 44 or whatever it would have been so uh, that uh, eventually came to an end. Um, I'm Sign of Zeta. My co-host on Game Face Radio was Kuroi Kaze. He's not going to be in this show. Um, but this show is not going to just be Game Face Radio without Kuroi Kaze, because that would be complete garbage. Um, if you've listened to the show, Game Face Radio, you know that there was this dichotomy between his sort of hyperkinetic... Um, playing new games all the time and uh, sort of making fun of me because my gaming tastes are uh, stagnated in the, the, sometime in the mid-90s when everything became polygonal and I uh, went into a cocoon and just ignored reality when I'm still there. So this show is going to be, from my perspective, that is the old school guy and his or his um, take on fandom and, and where he's from and and we're going to talk about old crap, but it's not going to just be the sound of one hand clapping. It's not just going to be grandpa with his gramophone trying to explain to you the significance of this thing you don't understand. It's going to contrast um, current day fandom with the old types of fandom. And for some people who were there at the time, it's going to be somewhat nostalgic. For people who weren't there at the time, you may find it fascinating to learn how fans in the 80s and the 90s obtained their anime and their video games and other things, because we, we will cover other things. It wasn't just a matter of everything lands on my computer uh, sort of thing. It was, a, it was a fucking struggle to get every stupid episode of everything, and you'd hear about shows, and you, you it would take you six years to finally get a hold of the damn thing. Um, we're going to talk about that sort of a thing. Um, one thing that's going to also be different of this show is we are going, um, me, I suppose, I'm going to be doing segments and not just one marathon session. So we'll have topics and there'll be post-production. There was virtually no post-production on Game Face Radio. It, it moved along just, uh, fine. Uh, Kurikaze and myself, did, we didn't even hardly use IM or anything it was just it just happened and it worked pretty well um 
that is something, if I just ramble for an hour, you'll pretty much kill yourself. So to avoid the suicides, uh, I'm going to use a lot of post-production. I'm going to make the edits a little bit tight. I probably am going to use those horrible musical segue things that everybody likes so much. Uh, there will be specific topics uh, covered in segments. Some of the future segments that you will hear about will be, uh, let's see, how people obtain their anime merchandise before the internet, um, how people traded anime before the internet, physical copies of things, and enormous expense was paid. And when you saw anime, sometimes you saw it in a club room on 35 millimeter with a guy who had a script narrating it over a PA and telling you what was happening because that was all that, that could be done. Um, we're going to talk about fan subbing and the technicalities of that, but also like the social system that, that grew up around it. Uh, we're going to talk about piracy because piracy is essential to anime fandom. It is a pure fantasy to think that people are going to pay for everything. There aren't even enough copies to go around. Uh, there certainly weren't back in the day. Uh, we're also going to talk about what it was like to import video games, um, what it was, how, how much of a pain in the ass it was just to get the things to play. Laserdisc is a topic we're going to talk about fairly soon. Um, how Laserdisc is not just a video format from the old days. It was essential to anime fandom in America and in Japan uh, during, its, during its time. It, it wasn't just like the next thing or the current thing. It was, it was the nature of anime fandom. Everything you saw came from Laserdisc. We're going to talk about modeling. We're going to talk about how those guys are kind of weird. We're going to talk about how modeling, anime-related modeling, game-related modeling, is at once it is sort of the most mainstream aspect of fandom, but at the same time it's also super hardcore and creepy and obscure, and how it has changed very little um, in some ways, even though the the, uh, the technologies has increased enormously and, and there's all sorts of things you couldn't do in the old days. The people and the nature of it, it's still its own little world. As for the name of the show, OG Oda, um, Oda is short for otaku. Otakus are shut-ins, uh, famous for being uh, a little bit too obsessed with things. But it's not just anime, like people think. It's not just games or whatever. It is something that is not unique to Japan. It is not something that is unique to modern-day society. Uh, Mozart had his otaku. I mean, otaku have been around forever. They just didn't have a word for it. Um, we're going to try to not focus on the pathetic criminal aspects of otaku, but more of the, the good side of it. And then OG uh, is you know short for original gangster, or perhaps just original, or perhaps zero gravity, depending, you know, whatever. Probably maybe we can make a stand for a bunch of things. So without, so without wasting too much more of your time, uh, we're going to get into our first segment. Something that isn't quite the same as it used to be is the process of buying a video game in person nowadays. Uh, some of you I know that listen to this show are the sort that just simply pre-order everything on Amazon and it gets sent to your house without any um, problems like uh, the story that I'm about to tell you. Uh, if you actually still go to video game stores, well, it'd be I don't know why you would do that. Maybe you still work there or something on Sunday just to keep the discount. Uh, or maybe, you know, 
I buy a lot of games at Target sometimes because uh, they just go and I get them and they have them and uh, there's no sales pressure usually from those people. Uh, the, what, the the big chain in America still uh, currently is GameStop. There used to be more show, uh, stores like GameStop, but now there aren't. And recently I had an interesting GameStop experience that just simply could not have happened with the old GameStop. Uh, when they first built an electronics boutique in my town in 1991, I think, it uh, the game, electronics boutique there was quite a different place in the sense that, um, if you'll remember, video games were kind of a lot more money back then. Like Super Nintendo, what, I mean, a lot of Super Nintendo games, $70 was, was pretty common, and that was, you know, $1990. Uh, some of them, I think the highest I ever saw in a game was Chrono Trigger for $82.99 or $81.99 or something like that. Not the highest price I've ever seen on a game, but on a mainstream game. Uh, this was back when you could actually buy Neo Geo cartridges off the shelf at Electronics Boutique. Something that only lasted a few years, but those were 200 and something dollars a piece. Um, you went into the store... And you 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 maybe asked some questions, but you bought your thing and you left. And there was no uh, buyer's card, and pre-ordering wasn't really a thing because nobody knew when games were coming out. Like they didn't really have release dates, and they sort of did. So on the big ones, I remember Sonic the Hedgehog 2 came out on Sonic Tuesday. Uh, that was a big deal. But usually, you know, you just you read about it, and then you know you went to the store, and then it would be there. Or sometimes. It wouldn't be there, and you'd be like, well, what ever happened to this game? And they're like, oh, we got one copy, and now it's gone forever. Because they didn't have greatest hits, really. Greatest hits didn't really exist for the most part. So games would only have, like, one printing run, and then it would be gone forever. And you missed out on a lot of that stuff. And that's why that crap like Ogre Battle is so expensive on eBay. So recently I went to um, a, what, is, what was it? A GameStop, yeah. I was going to say, I thought it might have been a software, etc., but I'm not sure those exist anymore. They've all been bought by the same company or something. Uh, but anyway, I went into the into the GameStop because it's next to the, uh, the, the Borders books. No, they went out of business. The um, Barnes & Noble books. And after being pestered to see if I wanted to join their club, I went to uh, Panera Bread, and they pestered me to join their club. And then I went to... Uh, the uh, the electronics boutique which is now a GameStop and I went in there with a very specific thing I knew exactly what I wanted I wanted Rhythm Heaven for Wii because this game came out at a budget price uh, $40 I think and I just sort of forgot that it came out and for some reason I was reminded of it I think I was thinking about the DS Rhythm Heaven game and I thought oh I need to get Rhythm Heaven because I need a multiplayer game for my girlfriend and it's kind of hard to, for anyone to not like Rhythm Heaven. Rhythm Heaven, if you've never played this, this series, um, it's it's a rhythm game based on extremely simplistic games, like sort of like um, WarioWare, uh, maybe a little more complicated than WarioWare, but just barely. And it has an amazing design and uh, character to it. It's, it's very fun and funny and uh, it's very exciting and manic, and usually all you do is like press one button or maybe a different button. It, it, it's it's very simplistic. It's very up. So I go into um, 
the store, the uh, whatever the hell it is, game store, and GameStop, <laughs> and the uh, the guy, I, I, there's one guy working there, and he looks like uh, Steve Jackson before he lost all that weight, and I said, he said, well, let's see, he said something like, I think he called me bro, and hi, and all that, and uh, and then he said something like, do I want to pre-order something i think it was diablo 3 which had just come out and he wanted to know, or it was coming out like literally the next day so you want to know if i wanted to pre-order a game that he already had 250 copies of in the back room and i said no and i said do you have rhythm heaven for Wii?" and he's like yes and he grabs it and i go to buy it and he says um are you interested in pre-ordering any other Wii games because there is some RPG that is somehow Final Fantasy oriented. I don't know what it is. You probably know. Uh, I know someone I know knows because they bought it. They might remember them talking about it. Some last minute 11th hour uh, Wii RPG. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't, uh, no, I don't want it. So I said no. And then he asked me if I want to pre-order anything else. Like Diablo 3 or whatever. And I said no. And then he said, um, do you have the, I don't know if it's still called the Edge Card. I used to work at Electronics Boutique and it was called the Edge Card there. And it came with a, a nice magazine subscription that they don't have anymore. And uh, he, I said, no, I don't, I don't have the Edge, I don't have that. And then he said, would you like it? And I said, no. And then he said, has anyone ever explained to you by the way, I have cash in my hand right now, and I just want to buy Rhythm Heaven and have this happy game at home and playing it and getting out of here. He says, has anyone ever explained to you the advantages of having the edge card? Or if it's not currently called an edge card, I apologize, but this is what he he, he asked me about is the card. And, I, you know, and I'm like, I don't really do cards. Well, actually what happens is he says, would you, know, would you be interested in, in the card and, and do you know why you don't want it and everything? And I said, now, and then I need to explain something here. I'm not a person who gives salespeople crap because I've had those jobs before and I know how horrible it is to be forced into that situation. But this guy clearly doesn't think it's horrible. Like, I think he likes this because he's the only one here. He doesn't have a manager breathing over his back telling him to pimp garbage. He, like, wants to get edge memberships because it makes him feel better. So that's not very commendable in a human being. Uh, he asked me no less than, I believe at the time I accounted it as five different things that he shoved on me. Um, the fifth one being not really a thing, but the question about, has anyone explained to you what an edge card does? And, and when he said, has anyone explained to you the advantages of the edge card? I said, no, but I would rather kill myself than sign up for this card. That's not my answer to the first thing he, he asked me, by the way, that's the answer to, you know, the fifth one. When he should have seen by my my deadpan demeanor and my monotone voice and my my eyes that are barely open and and the fact that I already had the game that I wanted, he should have known I don't want any of your crap. But you know, so he kind of cornered me into this, and so I said this somewhat flippant remark about potential suicide, and and when I said this, he was staring at his little computer monitor, which for all I know had a bunch of click-throughs on it. Like, do you have to click through? Have you pestered the customer about this 
yes click have you been with the customer about this click maybe that's what it's like i don't know uh he just stared at the monitor and he was quiet for the first time since i walked into the store and he didn't say anything for uh, like seven seconds which is kind of a long time for a guy who won't shut up about exciting opportunities to spend money and give your information out and he says I don't appreciate that comment very much because my mother committed suicide last week. Now, here's where he, he, he seemed very mad at this point. And let's just freeze time here for a second and think, what would you say in this situation? Like, for example, I'd like to know what you could say in the situation that would be funny because that's what I should have said. Uh, or maybe something, uh, I don't know. All I said was something like, well, that's terrible, but I don't do cards. And then, uh, he, I think he was expecting, I don't know what he was expecting of me, but, uh, I, I, I paid the money and, uh, you know, I paid my $40 plus tax and I, I got the game and I left and by the time I was leaving, he was like, like when he handed me the game, he like slammed it down on the counter. <laughs> and uh, he was like, um, I don't know, I, he might have actually punched the air possibly by the time I left. But I started getting towards the end of it. I was, I'm a little puzzled actually, because I think he might have been fucking with me. I don't really know. I think that might have been just like, he was, He this was a prank on me and he was, Towards the end, he was amping it up, trying to get me to to cave and then, you know, give some response, like perhaps a, an edge card membership or something. Um, or, but, because I don't know if that story is real. I think he might have, I think he might be a bit of a jokester, you know. Or, perhaps that actually is the case, and his mother really did commit, commit suicide last week. If that's the case, then... um that's a bummer. Uh, I, you know, unfortunately these things happen all the time and we can't never mention suicide in a comedic context because someone around you may have recently had someone they know commit suicide. That would, uh, not be good. In fact, I think probably joking about suicide probably ultimately reduces the number of suicides and therefore I think people should keep doing it, you know, um, Uh, joking not committing suicide so okay what are some funnier things that i could have said to the person whose mother's dead well the first thing that comes to mind would be something like so he says my mother committed suicide last week the first thing that comes to mind is well i'm still not going to sign up for the card you know like I'm not sympathetic enough to sign up for the card. Uh, another funny thing to say would have been, um, did she sign up for the card? That would, that would be a good one. Uh, another one would have been something like, did you not get enough edge card subscriptions and is that why she killed herself? Or you could have said, well, after this conversation, I can certainly see why she killed herself. Um, there are a couple ones. If, if you have any, uh, If you have any more, uh, send them to the email address that's associated with this podcast. 
I don't know what it's going to be yet. I'll probably have to make one up before I edit this down. The thing with podcasts is the feeds always have a contact email. So that's something you should know. I think a lot of people consume podcasts um, and they don't really understand the format, which is fine. But just so you know, um, all podcasts, if it's really a podcast, is associated with an RSS feed. And then that RSS feed will have an email address associated with it. Another note about podcast formatting. The, um, I hope to not mention this too much, but the old show, Game Face Radio, was an enhanced podcast. And I tried to incorporate as many cheesy features as my production time and budget allowed, which meant there was a, there was a cover picture for all of them. Uh, there were chapters they could skip through. There were different pictures for each chapters, uh, chapter. There were hyperlinks in the titles for the chapter. So if you were playing it on like an iPod Touch and it came to a chapter about um, fat transvestite cosplayers, you could click on the picture of it where it would say something like, oh my, and it would take you to a webpage with some related article. Uh, and I don't know how many people ever use that. But one thing I've noticed uh, listening to other podcasts, I don't listen to a lot, but I listen to several. I mean, way more than I watch TV or anything like that. Maybe three or four a week. Um, nobody uses any of those features. I, can, I find it kind of frustrating. I mean, they, some of them won't even bother to put a, an image on there, which, I mean, literally all you have to do is drag a, a logo onto it in iTunes and save the thing and drag it out of iTunes and it'll have a picture on it. I mean, it's that simple. But th the audio is more important. That's true. Um, so... Uh, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen with this show as far as the multimedia aspect goes, but it will be at least as rich as Game Face Radio was. So you're probably looking at your iPhone right now and seeing some sort of a picture. Um, but just so you know, you can skip through chapters and, and look at those pictures and see those hyperlinks. Well, anyway, that's enough on uh, Suicide. We're going to get on to the next segment. の空を
you're a longtime fan of the, the TV anime Super Dimensional Fortress Macross, um, specifically a Japanese version, not Robotech version, then that song may stir something in you. And even if it doesn't, it has a has a very nostalgic uh, tone to it. I think it reminds us of when anime theme songs were not all just straight up J-pop shit, but actually occasionally sung by men with uh, some freaking bass in their voice. And a lot of times children would join in too, although they don't in this song. Um, The reason why you just heard that is because this year is the 30th anniversary of Super Dimensional Fortress Macross. And Bandai, owning the, uh, the video distribution rights to Macross, you know, is not going to just sit around and not put anything out. So what they did this year was they released a Blu-ray box set of the movie version of Macross, which actually came out in 1984. So that's only 28 years old. Maybe in two years we'll get yet another version of this. But um, I'm going to talk about that specific box set. I have it. It's fairly impressive. Uh, First of all, it's not only available as a box set. You can get standard um, Blu-ray version, or you can get the two and a half inch thick box set. And I don't know what kind of a loser opts for the regular one. I guess if you literally can't afford it, then, you know, that's fine. But I think most people are going to be getting the full version. So I'm going to go over this um, as a longtime fan of the movie. I'm going to explain not every single aspect of this box because it's freaking amazingly huge. Um, but I will explain the important parts. Okay, first of all, you get a, a giant uh, box by Blu-ray standards. It's standard Blu-ray height and uh, width, but like I said, it's about two and a half inches thick. And uh, it's made out of a nice sort of uh, laminated paper. I don't know if you can hear this, but it has like a texture to it. And I have a feeling that this will last longer on people's shelves than uh, than the box sets of the Laserdisc era, which tended to be they just get they're made out of like this cheap pasteboard and they get dinged up so easily unless you uh take really good care of them um the box has a great illustration on it by Hiditaka Tenjin not Hal Mikamoto which is what you would assume um but i think this is better than what Hal Mikamoto's stuff looks like these days this is a really terrific picture of a uh Hikaru's uh VF1S strike version um, inside you get uh, disc number one. This is the movie. And we're going to come back to the movie itself in a minute. But um, the movie is not just a movie. It's a hybrid disc. It has an, it actually has a Macross PlayStation 3 game on the same disc. So you put it in your PlayStation and it shows up as, as two discs. Like if you go to the game part of the Cross Media Bar, there'll be My Boyfriend is a Pilot 2012 which is the name of the the game. And if you go to the movie part, you'll see Do You Remember Love, which is the subtitle of Macross the movie. Um, That's pretty cool. If you buy the standard edition, this is the same thing that you get. Um, I believe it's like 7,800 yen for the standard edition. The deluxe is roughly twice that. So basically with today's crap exchange rates and international shipping, you're looking at about 90 bucks for the movie and at least 150 for the um, for the deluxe version. I think the case might be the same. Um, 
for just this disc if you buy it separately. Except it would probably have to have an ISB on on it because this doesn't have one. But it looks like retail packaging. Um, also hidden inside the book here is a download code for PSN where you can get the PlayStation 1 version of the Saturn game. Because the, the Saturn Do You Remember Love game, which came out in like 98, was pretty good. It was a shooter, uh, R-type style shooter. It was a, way too easy and not very deep, but it did a great job of capturing the feel of the movie. It even animated certain things, had some original animation in it that was pretty good that uh, animated certain um, aspects of the movie differently. Like, for example, in the movie when uh, Misa and Hikaru find uh, the Prometheus is destroyed on Earth uh, when they go there after it's been blown up, um, they, uh, in, this, in the game version, Saturn version, you get to see the pilots taking off from the Prometheus and a big laser cutting it in half. Um, you never even knew that was supposed to have happened in, uh, in by just watching the movie. Another thing that's in this case is um, a piece of film, a 35 millimeter print. Uh, this, I believe, is a new, I mean, if you want to get technical, um, looking at it, there's no optical soundtrack on the side, so this is a print for mastering purposes. Um, the one I have, let's see, it's five frames long, and it looks like it's the Minmay concert from the beginning of the movie. This, I believe, the story is uh, the interpositive they used to make the transfer. So they would have gone back to the original negative, restored it, um, and I guess copied it down to this? Or maybe it's a print made just to cut things up. Actually, that's probably the case. They probably went right from the master to the digital version, and then but they made a copy of it. Anyway, your frame will not be the same as anyone else's because they only made as many box sets as they made uh, pieces of film. And um, it's pretty interesting. I didn't get it the most exciting shot. Uh, somebody probably got some really great stuff. I, felt, I feel like I should look at this with a magnifying glass or maybe just scan it and see what uh, is actually going on in there because it's a pretty dark shot. So all in all, I don't know if you get the, the film piece and the download code with the regular version or not. I don't know. But um, either way, it's a pretty impressive uh, package. The game looks just like the Macross Frontier hybrid Blu-rays that they've been making recently, which in turn look exactly like the PSP game. So if you've played Macross uh, Ace Frontier, um, Ultimate Frontier, or Triangle Frontier, I think the last one's called, you know exactly what you're getting. Uh, how much better is it on PS3? Well, the textures are way better. Models are better, but it's not a cutting-edge PS3 game. Like It's not Uncharted or anything like that. Not even close. But it is a decent, serviceable flight simulator. And since it comes with a movie that costs kind of like normal price for movies in Japan, very much money, I wouldn't expect a 40-hour game. So far, I've played it through... Um, you start out as Hikaru and you go through the, the movie and you reenact a lot of the scenes um, and then I beat it and now I can play all the scenes as Max and if it's like the PSP games you'll be able to play as Entrati and whatever and the PSP games you can actually play as the Macross or as the movie version of Baldoza and stuff they'll throw everything in there it's very wacky and uh, kind of like Guardian Heroes not really fun with every single character kind of pointless but it's fun that you can play them so, next thing in the box set is another Blu-ray. Uh, this one is 
let's see, it just says flashback 2012 30th anniversary box. So what's on here, it basically has art. You would say this is a flashback disc, but there's a lot more than just flashback. Flashback was an OVA that came out in 1987. Um, it was not uncommon to see OVAs like this where they will essentially make music videos out of songs that were that were in the anime there's a bunch of Palibur ones like this and some I think there's a Borgman one um in the days of when home video was new and exciting and if your standards for music were pretty low and you could actually enjoy anime music flashback was pretty those kinds of things were pretty exciting Nowadays, I don't think they do that very often because we're so used to YouTube and everything and we just don't value, we don't pay $100 for 30 minutes of recycled music videos. But we made Flashback 2012 different than anything else like that as far as I know is that it had about six minutes of new animation in it. Uh, some's at the beginning and some's at the end. And what it basically shows is a little bit after the movie or the TV series ended, uh, Min Mei is older and she's having like some, uh, I don't know, personal identity issues or something, non-surprising. Um, and she eventually decides to go on the Mega Road, which is the ship that in the anime is supposed to go out and um, humans are going to find, humans and Centrates are going to find all the other Centrati fleets and, and uh, pacify them and unify the, their civilizations. None of that is really explained because it's all, it's still music video, but the six minutes you get are extremely impressive animation and there was a lot i mean everything was redesigned misa is the captain of the mega road hikaru is flying a vf4 valkyrie which is like a twin fuselage valkyrie um it was very expensive and the story goes that um part of what's in flashback is a concert at the end um the story goes that that concert was supposed to be the closing of the movie but they ran out of time and it eventually got rolled into flashback i'm not sure if i actually believe that um i know that's what everybody says maybe that's true but i think the movie was a lot more final without the concert because it just ends with min may being completely jilted and it has that typical dark 70s 80s and uh space opera anime type ending um so okay so you get flashback what else do you get um you get a a TV special that aired earlier this year called The Men of Macross, which is fairly uh, insightful. Um, and also you get a little movie, I don't remember what it's called, but it was on the limited edition of the PSP uh, Macross Ultimate Frontier. And I have never watched that UMD because UMD movies are region locked to the drive that is in the player. So even though games are region-free, movies are are locked, and there's no way to crack it as far as I know. So I've actually been sitting on this UMD that I haven't watched in forever. Turns out the same thing is on here, and it's not really that great. Um, what else do you get? You get HD versions of the new animation that was made for the Saturn game, which was pretty good. Although I gotta say, doesn't scale very well. So when you're watching it in HD, it's kind of like, eh, this animation isn't as great as I thought it was. When it was compressed into true motion and shown in standard definition, it was a bit fancier. Uh, it looked a little fancier. You get a compilation of uh, the contemporary um, television ads for the movie, and you get some image boards, but not that many, amazingly. It seems like they could put a lot more in there. So this disc is only in the box set. It's pretty good. Um, 
What else do you get? Okay, you get a miniature version of the movie program. I don't know if they still do this in Japan, but they used to do this where sort of like when you go to a, an automobile race or uh, a play, you can buy an optional program. Sometimes you get a free program if it's like a high school play, but if, if you go to see, you know, Cats or something, you can pay them an extra ridiculous amount of money and, and they'll give you a, a program that's kind of nice. This has a shrunken version of the exact program, and it's only shrunken because DVD uh, Blu-rays are tiny, and they come in tiny boxes. This is actually pretty good. I mean, considering there was no internet back then, if you wanted to see these pictures, uh, this would be one of the only ways to see them. On the back is an advertisement for uh, the VHS of the movie. Is that correct? Wow. So, yeah. Um, price, 14,800 yen. So this VHS of just the movie in 1984 cost as much as this entire box that with all this shit in it. Um, so keep that in mind. While these prices are high, this is really um, not very expensive compared to the... If you've ever bought Macross before, you paid more than this. There's no question of that. What else do you get? Um, I'll blow through the rest of this pretty quick because it's all physical. doesn't really transcend the audio. Um, you get a character design booklet. Is that what I would call this? It just says Macross Do You Remember Love. It's a book full of uh, the image art for the movie. All the characters were at least somewhat redesigned. Some were enormously redesigned. Um, so there's a lot of it's marker drawings and, and line art, which is pretty exciting. Uh, stuff to people who are, who are creative themselves and are want an inside look at the creative process. You get a gigantic stack of random things printed out. I don't know how many pieces are in here, but it's like a hundred. In here are movie posters, ads for Macross the Ride, uh, stuff like that. And then you get another thing, which is um, like, I don't know what you'd call these. Um, they're like uh, line art drawings I guess Conte, sort of like Conte, but just line art drawings, and they're all laid out on on cell size sheets. So it's sort of like pre-direction in a way. I don't have a very good understanding of, of the Japanese animation creation process. I've studied some of like the Western style, but there's something about Japan that is uh, that's different, and I, and I wouldn't even know what the fuck was going on now because I don't know anything about digital animation. And then the last thing you get is... Perhaps the coolest thing in the entire box, it is called the Macross Do You Remember Love Anime Magazine Selection. And in here there are just tons of scans of old anime magazines. Um, there, some of this, most of this stuff appeared in other works. So if you have the This Is Animation books, um, there's three for the TV show and one for the movie, you probably will have almost all of this. But towards the end, there are some uh, little four-panel comics, some photos. And towards the end, you'll see um, a shot, all, a little section all about um, Flashback. Now, Flashback, there's no MOOC for Flashback that I'm aware of. Maybe it's in something newer, but there was nothing contemporary. So this is, this is a really great shot of some of that. And in here, here's an interesting, uh, this, this I was quite delighted to see. Back in the 80s, um, American fandom didn't know what the fuck was actually going on in Japan. We just sort of had to guess. And uh, one of the things, one of the only, uh, the, the widest ranging 
uh, magazine for anime was called Japanimation Magazine. And actually, it had on Katakana, it said anime, and then underneath it said Japanimation Magazine. And this these were coming out in like 87, 88, something like that. And the only thing that you could get that was marketed as anime here were a few Viz comics, because didn't, you didn't even have uh, Animago yet doing Bubblegum Crisis. So you had your FHE family home video, or family home entertainment uh, stuff, like their weird versions of Harlock and Macross. And then you had this magazine. And in this magazine, they're talking about... I have an issue that has uh, the guy from Mary 88 on the cover. And in this, I've had this magazine for a really long time. I think, like I said, it's from 88, I think 87. In it, it's like, what's coming soon in Japan? And there's two things they mentioned that never materialized. One was a Mazinger OVA uh, that never came out. I can't remember what it's supposed to be called, but they show a picture of it. And I never heard about that thing. I never saw it anywhere until I was reading Wikipedia like a year ago, and they said that it, it was never going to come out because um, they were fighting over rights and people who never had the rights announced this series and it eventually got canned when they realized um, that they were never going to be able to make it. I think the ideas might have got folded over into another show. Um, and then another thing they mentioned that was supposed to be coming out was a new Macross series called Exceed to Macross. Well, while I'm looking through this, uh, by the way, that never came out because between between Flashback, there was nothing until Macross Plus came out in like 93 or 94, whenever that was. So in here is actually an article about Flashback called Exceed the Macross. And it has uh, this interesting picture of uh, Hikaru watching Minmay on a TV and, and some props and stuff sitting around. And I think someone who wrote, edited that magazine who couldn't read Japanese thought that this was an announcement of a new show. They knew about Flashback, so they must have thought this was something coming after Flashback or something. I don't know. But anyway... That's an interesting little flashback for me. Um, this book is so cool. I mean, there's all these pictures of these creators with their gigantic hair and aviator shades. They did a pretty good job of scanning. Uh, I'm pretty sure they scanned from magazines and not original art because you can sort of see the the matrix of the uh, process of print in there. Uh, great book. Uh, it'd be nice if they sold a full-size version of that. Okay, so... That's uh, the whole thing. It feels like it's worth money. You, as someone myself who's collected a lot of Laserdiscs, there is definitely something a little underwhelming about the size of all of this. I mean, okay, the disc is small and that's basically good, but damn, the art is puny, you know? And if they did, sometimes they give you things that unfold, but come on, they're going to be all creased up and that's no fun. It, the Laserdisc format certainly did offer uh, a better platform for art because it was 12 by 12. As for the movie, um, the whole reason this box set exists in the first place, uh, Macross Do You Remember Love is the subtitle of the movie, Do You Remember Love. Um, this is almost as good as you can... It's basically a fantastic disc, but it's not just a straightforward version of the movie. So I'm going to talk about what do you see. Well, when you, when you, put, the, when you put the movie in, will you get... It automatically plays. Now, I don't know... I, I only have a few Japanese Blu-rays, but it seems to me, and maybe this is just a Bandai visual thing, because, yeah, they're all Bandai visual, they make some incredibly unannoying menus. I mean, when I get Blu-rays, when I buy Blu-rays, 
um, or I get them from Netflix, that you put it in the player, especially if you have a standalone player, which tend to be a lot slower than PS3s, they ju- you put them in there and they just load and they load and they load and they just load, you know, sometimes like a minute. I don't know what the hell they're loading. And then you get this stupid menu you don't want. And every time you click on anything, you have to wait for things to load again. So it's a way worse than DVD was because um, DVD players had so little memory that they couldn't, there was no, no space to fill. So it would load, always load fast because it would always fill up fast. But for some reason, Bandai just, the stuff auto-executes. You just put it in and it just plays the movie immediately, just like a Laserdisc. Um, the menus that pop up are totally straightforward with no flash or anything. They just work and they're d- descriptive and not outlandish. This Macross one doesn't even have like a root menu. It just has, when you start it up, you get a choice between two cuts of the movie, 1984 original or this version. I, don't, I can't remember what they call it exactly. Um, the difference between them is very subtle. I don't even know why they bothered, but if you want to watch Macross without the added concert at the end, because when Do You Remember Love came out on home video, um, later, I believe in like 91, when the uh, Perfect Edition Laserdisc came out, they took the concert from Flashback and they stuck it on the end of the movie. And it looks pretty good because the OVA was so high budget. It actually looked better than the theatrical movie that, that, it prece- uh, that preceded it. You can watch the 1984 original without that. And another thing they changed was in the beginning, there's this little thing of text that explains the setting of the movie. Because the movie will confuse people who absolutely have to understand every single thing. Um, if you can watch something like Lock the Superman or Armageddon and not get frustrated by not having any idea what's going on, then do you remember love is not going to bother you. But if if you're like a Robotech fan and you're watching this movie, you're going to be big time what the fucking through the entire thing because it's pretty strange in a lot of ways. So there's a tiny little thing... And I, I think all it explains is um, that the Macross is on its way back from Pluto. Because just like in the TV show, the first time they used the Fold device, they accidentally warped all the way to Pluto, and then they had to come back at sublight speeds because um, they didn't know how to use it. They didn't know where they would warp next time, so they, get, they make their way back towards Earth. That's where the movie begins. Um, so <clears throat> they, that, those two little things, not a huge deal. I believe some other things were corrected in the movie. I believe maybe there's a Valkyrie that is the wrong color, you know, Ninja Turtle style. You know, the poor animators are trying to keep these identical-looking things straight in their mind, and they painted something the wrong color, I guess. That might have been fixed. I don't know. Um, I did I did look, and uh, the Budweiser can is still in there. There's, there's a scene at the end where Hikaru just payloads his Valkyrie all over Bulldoze's head and one of the things that comes out is a, a, a Budweiser can it's only on the frame it's only it only exists as one frame so unless you have a CAV laser disc or a, a, a blu-ray you you have to literally frame by frame to see it but it, it fills the entire screen with a gigantic uh, Budweiser can um, that's still there but the movie has been censored bafflingly so 
what has changed, um, the Macross movie had a few scenes of violence in it. Um, four of them, I believe. There's The first thing I, I remember seeing when I first saw the movie was, in the beginning there's a battle, and Max, who's a super ace pilot, he like rips this battle pod open by hand pretty much, you know, Valkyrie hands, but rips it open, pulls his Entrati out, and then shoots him right in his head and just obliterates the guy. Um, and when I first saw this, I, it was quite um, thought-provoking because I always thought of Max as like this nice guy, and here he is like ripping people apart. And I guess in a way that's more realistic because that's what soldiers do. They fucking kill people, and if you can't, you know, come to terms with that, then... You know, you're missing the point of most movies that contain wars, I guess. Um, that's still there. But there's a scene, there are two scenes that are missing. Um, one is when you first see Miria, and she breaks into the Zentradi ship and crushes the Zentradi guy's head with her foot. Um, that's not really there anymore. Most of the scene is there, but they sort of like did a fake pan and sort of put like a, a glare or a blurriness on it. You, I think if you, I don't think you would notice, like if you'd never seen the movie before, I think it's a transparent enough edit where you actually wouldn't even notice that that was gone. Um, there's another scene at the end, right when uh, Minmay is singing her song, and there's this huge battle going on, things are falling apart inside the Macross. Something happens, like a building lands or something, and this guy's head gets cut off, and it like flies towards the camera. That's gone. And, uh... I gotta tell you, I don't miss it, because I thought those, maybe the Miria scene made sense, because it established her as a as a total badass, but the scene of the, the flying head, it just seemed um, totally unnecessary, you know, uh, I guess it, it's there to remind you that, you know, that they're winning this war, but, it, no, you, you know, you can't really win a war any more than you can win a hurricane, they say, and and maybe that's just showing you the casualties. But I always thought it was really out of place, not completely unlike the Megazone 2-3 OVAs, which have some scenes of violence that just, like, make the whole thing hard to watch. And it's depressing because it's so well animated, you know. But, you know, these guys, they were young, and this was their chance to draw anything they wanted, and that's what you get, heads flying around and um, tentacles and shit. So anyway, that's missing. Um, I would say the total combined length of the edits is probably about um, one second. Definitely less than two seconds. So we're not, and considering animation in Japan is done on threes, you're looking at um, maybe six drawings. Like, it's really nothing to get excited about. Um... And then, of course, you know, if you bought this box set, you probably bought this movie before. And some reason, for some reason, this is the only time I've ever censored it. It's been on Laserdisc like five times and uh, VHS twice and DVD twice. And, it, and they've never censored it before, but this time they've censored it. So um, if that bothers you, then don't buy this. But um, I, I would suggest getting a life if that really bothers you because it is really not a big deal. And I thought that the, personally, I thought that those scenes... Um, didn't really belong in the movie anyway. And I think that's actually what Shoji Kawamori decided when he supervised the, the, the HD 
uh, Blu-ray release of this. I think he just thought, well, my God, I was a real dipshit when I was a kid, and I did this. I suppose this would be as good a time as ever to mention uh, that the director of this movie, Noburu Ishiguro, actually died the day this box set was announced. Um, it was kind of a, a bummer. Uh, he was 73, which actually in Japan is kind of going a little too early because they live forever over there. Uh, but it, uh, some people, uh, you, you may have seen some people mentioning him um, online because he was a, a pretty nice guy, according to people that knew him. Uh, he was a co-founder of Studio New, who was the studio that, you know, they were pretty great. They des did a lot of design work and to certain extents would carry out an entire project or at least their beginning of a project would eventually be the end of a, be an entire project. Um, I'm reading a obituary on uh, Anime News Network, and it says that he directed um, Megazone 2-3, uh, Orgus, Macross, Do You Remember Love? Uh, recently he was working on Titania and um, some other stuff. But uh, yeah, he was working, I guess, up until quite recently. Um, kind of a bummer, and the timing was not the best. <laughs> you know, it, it, it kind of makes you buy this box set with a, a bit of sadness. Um, and especially since the movie is so just bluesy and down, you know, to begin with. I mean, it's one of the coolest movies ever. But um, it does have a, a dark side to it, much like a, a, a Legion of Matsumoto type of thing. Um, getting back to the movie itself... I am extremely happy with the video quality in this on this release. I, I honestly, a rare time in my life, I have nothing to complain about. I I don't know if I do. I don't know if I am complaining about the edits, or the violence, the one second being taken out. I think they should have put it on the disc. But I tell you, if they had a choice between the two, I would probably watch the version that I have and not the other one. I'm I'm very much against ever revising anything if it means erasing the original but but at the same time in this case i uh it's not exactly star wars special edition i mean this is just as good as it ever was it's, it's probably better not having those scenes in it i don't think they really belong as for the, the transfer itself um it's fantastic and i couldn't be happier these days we're we're in a bit of a weird time when it comes to blu-rays because if you if you watch a Blu-ray of say, the movie Thor based on the Thor uh, comic book by Marvel, um, hey, it's crisp as hell and it looks fantastic and it's just the way it's supposed to be. be but that that's easy for them to make a Blu-ray like that because the whole movie was shot digitally. Freaking ninety-five percent of this shit is CG anyway, so there it's not a matter of keeping an original tone. The whole thing's synthetic. And you, you get a copy. Your Blu-ray is uh, pretty close to what they showed in the theater. And the sound is identical. So it, it you know, it works out good. The problem is when you're doing something old. Um, the more HD it gets, the more it sort of emphasizes the flaws in the original. And the people who author these DVDs are in a fucking tough situation. Because on one hand, uh, that dipshit who bought his 70-inch plasma pretty much just for football. And now he wants to watch... Uh, you know, Predator, for example, he probably doesn't mind the fact that the, the Blu-ray of Predator is one of the most fucked up plastic looking fake pieces of shit you've ever seen in your life. 
because he doesn't want to see any film grain. He wants all the film grain gone. He doesn't want to see any specks or dirt. He wants the special effects where they screwed it. He wants you to airbrush out the wires and everything. He wants everything to look plastic like a new movie. And at the same time, you have people who aren't interested in that at all, um, who want to retain the original because when they use digital noise reduction, we'll just call that uh, DNR for sure, that's what people call it, you tend to eliminate the subtleties of the original. Like, shadows are either black or not there. The, the semi-shadows tend to go away. Um, when you eliminate film grain, you also eliminate the texture that's on the actual objects in the movie. And unless you've got the man hours to, to do every frame individually, you're probably going to just go with some automated software solution that's going to fuck the whole thing up. Predator is a perfect example. I mean, if, if you've got a very big TV and you want to look at some hideously overprocessed video, that is the one to, to see. Um, sometimes it's done right, um, heavily dicked with, but competently. An example of that would be the Lady and the Tramp Disney movie Blu-ray. That thing is fucking flawless. It's just crystal clear. And I don't think they had to fix it up too much because Disney takes very good care of their shit. And um, it was a high-budget uh, animated movie for the time. But there's definitely some uh, heating up of the colors and making things pop a little bit more. But it doesn't get rid of the detail at all. With anime, yeah, it's tough because anime is cheap shit compared to Disney movies. I mean, this um, this movie, Macross the movie, cost about a million dollars to make. So um, let's... Let's, let's have a comparison here. Okay, by comparison, in 1985, Walt Disney released The Black Cauldron, which was kind of a, a flopperoo for them. Um, $25 million is what it cost. Um, the, the movie they made before that would have been, let's see, The Fox and the Hound. And let's see, that one, 1981. Let's see. It had a budget of $12 million, Fox and the Hound, and that was kind of them falling into a, a somewhat of a slump because Disney was not doing so well back then. Um, a lot of their movies were were just not bringing in the bucks. Um, the movie The Rescuers was actually made for about a quarter of what um, they used to spend on movies. So anyway, my point is, this is a cheap-ass movie. This is a Japan movie, okay? They don't have one big building where the people go in and then the movie comes out the other end. Um, the only studio in Japan that's even kind of like that is Ghibli, and they didn't even exist when Macross the movie was made. So what happens when they make animation like this is, you know, they, they don't, they might send it out to six different places to get cameraed. They might send it to get painted in five or ten different places. And you don't have as much control over things. You have to bang it out in a very short period of time. Um, the, and things end up getting a little sloppy sometimes. So this Blu-ray exposes those flaws. There are several out-of-focus shots. I mean, actually, there I would say a quarter of the movie is a little soft. And I don't mean intentionally like at the end. I mean just randomly. Uh, the scenes where the Zentradi are talking and there are Japanese subtitles on the bottom... Those subtitles, because that's another generational loss. And they have to sh they shoot the animation and they send it to a company, probably Mackie Pro, to put the titles on there. Um, they 
you get a little grain that shows up because the scenes were already very dark and then there's another cell on top of that or whatever um those are a little thick looking and you can fix that up if there's software that will basically trace the entire movie and draw it again and fill everything in and make it perfect but then you're looking at basically a traced version of the movie it's not the original movie anymore and you're going to lose detail there's no question um this sometimes you know, it's, it's really hard to make a decision how much do you want to restore it, how much you want to leave it original. Thankfully, and I hope this is just going to be a thing for at least Japan forever, if not everyone, they made it as clean as it could possibly be. It has no visible artifacting at all. Um, the colors are, are as good as they can be. I think they had to balance them intentionally. I think there's a bit of fakery with the coloring. But the scenes that are soft are just soft. And the scenes that have grain have grain. And they didn't fuck with it. And it varies from shot to shot, and especially the darker it is. The darker it is, the more grain you see. That's just the nature of, of film is, you know, there's not as much light doing stuff. You don't get as quite a homogenous of a tone. Um, so I'm very uh, happy to see that. One movie that they didn't do this with recently is Project ACO, um, which is put out by Discotech. From what I understand, um, they lost the negative for Project Echo, which is very sad because it's very good animation. So literally, the best thing they have is is the Laserdisc. Well, they say the Laserdisc. They might mean the D2 tape. A lot of times when they say Laserdisc, they really mean D2 tape, which is effectively identical quality. The a D2 is what you make in order to make a Laserdisc. It's like the master sort of for a, a Laserdisc. Um... And that is noisy as hell, because it's composite video. And I know the discotheque DNR'd the living fuck out of that to get rid of all the composite video noise. And I haven't seen it yet. I, I'll I'll get it eventually. Discotech's a great company. They're putting out all sorts of amazing shit. So um, I'll probably buy that for whatever it costs. And I guess I'll talk about that later, because I, I have the American Laserdisc of that. So anyway, this box set as a whole... If you like Macross, buy it. If someone told you don't buy it because George Lucas did, they did not George Lucas it. It's missing one fucking second. Um, how does this compare? I, I wouldn't even compare this to the DVDs because fuck the DVDs, especially the first one. The first one, um, very bad. Early DVD is, is so garbagey. I mean, if you haven't watched a DVD from 1997 recently, why don't you just put one in and, and watch it on your... 60-inch television, because you will be not impressed. The artifacting is horrendous. Uh, there's also a remastered DVD, which is probably a little bit better, but I would actually compare this more with the Laser, because Laser, at least, everything on Laser nowadays looks like it has a haze to it, because it's standard definition, but at least the haze, the haze is everywhere on the screen. It doesn't just pick areas to be, which is what happens with DVD. If there's a dark area, it just turns into macro blocks from hell. Or if there's too much action at once, very quickly, and Macross is a, case, a good example of this, this will be a, a, a plane flying, and all of a sudden 50 missiles come out of it, and all of a sudden they're just, the bit rate just isn't there, or it's a little behind, and all of a sudden it's just all jaggy and blocky. That never happens on Laserdisc. It's, it stays doing whatever it's doing all the time, and you get used to it. Nothing's going to change with the picture halfway through the movie. Uh, so, as far as comparing it to the laser, yeah, it crushes it. There's no question. Um, 
this thing is, is very nice, and I'm very glad to have it. Uh, there is a new sound mix. Some people have complained about one scene, there's a song that's not playing, or it, plays, it starts later or something. I gotta tell you, I didn't really notice it, because I, I used to watch this movie like once a week, or twice a week, you know, 20 years ago, but I haven't actually seen it in some time. When I when I watched it again, I was I was uh, pretty uh, impressed with everything, and I, I guess I'm not as over-familiar with it as it used to be. I didn't notice the sound problem, but anyway... If you've got the 150 to $200, depending on how fast you want shipped to you, and you like Macross, buy this. Don't let someone talk you into saying that the video quality is bad. There are those people who complain that it's not overly restored. They want it DNR to fuck, and they want it to look like Flash, like Venture Brothers or some shit. And they want, you know, all the texture taken out of it. Fuck those guys, you know. They can buy some software that does that and do it to themselves. But as far as it just being a movie... It looks better than it ever has, and the only reason why you're seeing flaws is because there are less flaws in the video format itself. You're seeing flaws in the original that are supposed to be there. Um, so that's all I'm going to say about that. I, I believe the TV show came out on Blu-ray recently. Uh, I'm not going to be reviewing that because I'm sure it's hundreds of dollars, and uh, I, just, I just don't need it in a super-duper high-quality format. Um, I do have my limits. Well, that was it, the first episode of OG Yoda. Um, next time, uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to do my best to not say um quite as much. Listening back to this episode, uh, I realized, wow, I sure did say um yeah a lot. Very much a high school speech class coming back to haunt me. One of the things, uh, we're not just going to be talking about games and anime. We will also talk about other aspects of old school fandom like I mentioned before I don't know if I'm qualified to do a thing about Mozart but you know I might be maybe I'll do that one of the things we're going to talk about is uh, vintage electronics because nowadays electronics are more powerful than ever and they do everything and they totally save your ass and save tons of time and that's fantastic but at the same time they sort of lack the charm of the old stuff you know pocket calculators and things like that uh, one of the things you've already heard in the intro to the show was a piece of equipment called the Korg Monotribe, which is brand new, but very old school in the way that it's designed. And uh, I'm going to talk about that next time. I might also talk about maybe arcade board collecting or garage kits or something like that. Um, we'll see. Thanks for listening. And here is an ending theme, also made with the Korg Monotribe, so you can get another sample of what it sounds like. Bye-bye.